It's just that that's the way that world works. They're in a smaller town. They're, they put an envelope and they tape it to their door. I thought you were going to say they were paying you all in fives and ones and tens or something. <laughs> I'd be okay with that too. Money's money, brother. <laughs> Hand to God, I went on Craigslist and put, I'm buying a bar. Would anyone like to invest? Taking up to three investors at 20 grand a piece. I had three people that threw me 20,000 bucks. That So that business was started for 60,000 bucks. None of it was mine. I didn't work it. And I owned... 30% for what should be a complete nightmare, right? Four guys from Craigslist. It's worked out great. I feel like that could be a Netflix documentary, four guys from Craigslist. <laughs> now what happens if you have like a lockout or something? Do you have a lockbox there for them? My leases are written where I say, if you lock yourself out, break a window. Yes. Welcome to the Highly Leveraged Podcast, interviewing landlords and industry professionals to help you start and continue to scale your rental income portfolio. Here's your host, Dave Rosa. What's up? I have Matt Lyons with me this week. He's owned bars. He's owned a bunch of other businesses. He now has 60 plus residential units. Flipped several houses during the pandemic. Here he is, straight out of Chicago, Matt Lyons. Stoppers. Just tell me, uh, you said you own bars, you own a marina now, you own 50-plus properties. So so how did you get started in all this? Yeah, I uh, went to college back in the mid-'90s. Uh, I worked at a bar there all five years of college. It tells you a little bit about me. It took five years to get through that. Um, when I got out, the first thing I did was, in, in addition to working a regular full-time job, I bought a local bar uh, in a town next to the town I grew up in. Um, I uh, had no clue what to do, no clue how to do it. Uh, ended up doing it with three buddies, only because I was out drinking and told them what I was doing, and they all had five grand to throw in, so we opened a bar for 20000 bucks. It cost me five. Did it more of a learning experience. It was a great time. Um, highly recommend everyone at 24 years old owns a bar. Yeah, sounds uh, like a great idea. We were uh, the busiest bar in town and never made a nickel. Uh, so oh, uh, that's also the time that I stepped into my first uh, duplex. I lived in one unit, rented out the other one. I was fortunate that I, uh, the lady who lived across the alley, I grew up in the near west suburbs of Chicago. She passed away in the house during that first um, summer where old people died because it was so hot. First time that kind of ever happened. Uh, they found her four months later and picked her up with a shovel. So oh needless, a great deal on the house, <laughs> but it had to be completely gutted. Uh, and then I kind of just went into a professional career at that point um, and then started buying businesses, started buying properties uh, probably about 10 years ago. So I'm about 10 years into it. Um, to date, there's been five bars that I've owned, bars and grills. Um, I've done two on my own. I've done two with partnerships. Um, and the last one was probably the most successful. The managing partner who worked it every day, he eventually bought me out and it's worked out great. The bar's still there today doing really, really well. Um, and then uh, I owned a uh, golf course marketing company that I did with my brother that was really successful to the downfall of humanity back in the late 2000s when uh, people didn't have expendable income <laughs> after the market went south. Um, and the real estate stuff, I really kicked into gear about four years ago. I'm up to, I counted this morning, 62 doors uh, spread out amongst about 14 properties. My largest is a 14 unit. My smallest is a single family home. Um, and I've had different experiences, each one of them. I've flipped um, four houses. I'm sitting in what I call my Corey home, which is a house I bought in South Elgin, Illinois, about eight minutes from my 
full-time house, and it sits on a 10-acre quarry that's spring-fed, crystal-clear water, so it's a little vacation my family can get away to. Uh, it was originally listed, I'll tell you a quick story about this one because it's a fun story. It's originally listed at 239 Um, I just wanted to see the quarry because I drive by it every day and never got to see the water because you have to own a house to get on it. And I ended up uh, looking at it, needed a lot of work, uh, offered 200 They came back at 215 220 something like that, and I stuck to my guns at 200 uh, They ended up accepting it. I sent an inspector in. He noticed everything I noticed and then some. So I basically wanted to run away because it wasn't, it was going to take a ton of work. So I went back and said, I want to cancel the deal. There's too much work that needs to be done. Day later, they called me and they wanted to know if I'd meet them halfway. And I kind of looked at them funny and said, halfway, I told you I'm out. They said, well, would you do a hundred grand? So I said, okay. So I bought it for a hundred grand when it was originally listed. The initial listing was 289. When I started looking at it, it was 239. And it ended up being my family's favorite place that I bought. Um, we had to put about 65 grand into it. So I was 165 all in. I ended up refinancing because I paid cash for it and I did the repairs with cash. I financed out my uh, some of my equity. So I have about a $1,300 a month mortgage on it with taxes and so forth. And it's a two unit. I rent one side out. I pay about 200 bucks myself out of pocket every week or every month for uh, access to the lake. So I think it was a pretty good deal. Wow, that sounds great. So are all your properties uh, close by or are you out of state? Um, I am. I would say they're all what I term as fairly close. Most of them are about an hour from me. My furthest is two hours from me. Um, very. This is the only one that's within, well, I'm sorry, one of two that's within 10 minutes of my house. Most of them, uh, what I ended up doing when I started getting in, the reason I, I got into um, residential homes was primarily because I wanted to create cash flow to pay for my kids' college. I have a daughter who's now going to be a senior in high school and a son who's going to be an eighth grader. And I had to pay for their college, and I started looking at how to do that best. And I realized I could do the 529 plan. I could save. I could all that stuff. But then they're limited in what they have to use that for, right? So they have to use that. And states and all that take into account your 529 plans and your savings before they decide how they're going to fund um, or what they're going to give you to help fund college. So I said, well, if I buy multi-level or, or multi-family properties that creates cash flow, when they go to college, I can just pay their college off monthly and go that route. So that was my initial plan and reasoning behind why I did that. What that caused was for me to come up with a formula on what makes sense from a cash flow standpoint. So um, I started looking at it, trying to realize all I want is to leverage what I have into as much monthly cash as I can get. So the formula I came up with to make it work, I had to start looking in areas I'd never considered. So I own homes in Pawpaw, Illinois, population of maybe 1,100 people. Um, I own homes in Holcomb, Illinois, population maybe 300 people. Um, Troy Grove, Illinois, which is the birthplace of Wild Bill Hickok, that has less than 500 people. Um, I own homes in all those towns, and what I learned was in those smaller towns, there's no competition to buy the properties because no one's looking in those towns. So you're typically getting a really good buy um, and you're finding places that have been left on the market longer with, with more motivated sellers, um, which allows you to look at it and come in at a lower price. Um, the tenant base in those areas are really good people. They tend to work hourly jobs. They tend to pay their bills. Um, during COVID, I had no issues with my tenants paying me rent at all. 
um, because those those areas weren't as affected. In in downtown Chicago, people got locked away and couldn't move and couldn't pay the rent and couldn't work. Out in these farming communities, they still worked at the local gas station. They still worked at Walmart. They still made an income. Um, And my return, the way I typically do it is I I use a, a perfect world scenario. In that perfect world scenario, I need my down payment back in 36 months or less. So I have homes that I was truly positive after my investment, getting that money back in under a year. Um, so from a cash flow standpoint, it worked great. Wow. So so how did you start off? Did you start off a single family or were you by yourself? Did you have partners? I started off by myself and my first real property was a four unit in Leland, Illinois. That was the property I bought myself. Um, and I came up with my own formula and if it makes sense, if it doesn't make sense. And basically what I do is I... I assume 100% occupancy at current rates, and I take into account my debt service, the insurance, and the taxes. Those are the only things I look at. I don't take an average 8% vacancy. I don't take a 3% cost of repairs. I don't look at any of that because, in my opinion, all those numbers vary, so let's not assume they exist. And then I take my down payment, look at my free cash after those three expenses, divide my free cash into my down payment. And if that number is 36 or less, then it's worth going to look at. Ah, interesting. So how did you find that property and how close was that to where you were living? Yep. I found it on either Zillow or Realtor, one of the two main sites. And it was listed as a four unit. uh, And it was about 45 minutes from my house. I live out in St. Charles, Illinois, which is the far west suburbs of Chicago. And this one was down... um, maybe 40 miles from me um, out in the middle of the country. Nice little town, very little crime. Um, I may have the only rental property in that town. Really? <laughs> yeah, they're just, there's not much there. It's, a, it's about four streets of single family homes and then farms. Now, were you looking at that area right off the bat or were you kind of looking at a bunch of different areas and that one just happened to work out? I was looking everywhere and uh, it caused me in the area I live in, a four unit in this area is probably going to cost, if it's in good shape, half a million bucks, um, which can work if the math makes sense. But it ultimately didn't. Every time I ran through the numbers, it was going to take me over 60 months to get my down payment back from free cash flow. So I started, I kept looking further and further. That led me to look at DeKalb, which is about 20 minutes from me. Um, some of that stuff worked a little bit, uh, but when I went out there, I didn't like that town. It's a college town, but it's also a town that has a lot of crime, uh, a lot of issues and so forth. And I never wanted, I don't want to have a place that it has great cash flow, but I have to go there and repair stuff every day. I have to go there and, um, beat up my tenants for rent every month. I wanted a place that I felt was a cleaner, simpler operation. And then that led me to keep going further and further west. Uh, right now, the bulk of my properties sit right on the Illinois-Iowa border. So that that first one you bought, the four unit, was did you have to do any work to that, or was that pretty much turnkey? Or perfectly turnkey. It had uh, four tenants in there that had been there for a while. Property needed no work at all. I'm not going to say it was nice, but um, it certainly was livable and it was right for the community. It was the right price point. Um, after about six months, I had one tenant move out. The new tenant that came in, I, I chose to wash the carpets and paint the place. That's that's all the work I really did. Um, and then I increased rent on that new tenant. And then over the course of a two to three year period, increased rent on each one of the tenants. Because what I found is every time a place became vacant, I had 
a dozen people wanting it. So I started saying, okay, we're way too low for the market. Um, and that's how that went. I eventually, I think last year or the year before I sold that property um, and I made about 40 grand on selling it. And then um, I had, it was cash flow positive from day one. Now, what's the appreciation like in that area? I imagine it doesn't, it's not a lot. I'm not going to say nothing, but it's very little. Um, probably, the way you win or the way I've won out in those areas is buying it better than you expect. So, um, for example, a place may have an appraised value of $100,000 because the seller's motivated, because no one else is looking at it. I might be able to get that for eighty grand. So, I've got some instant equity in that I'm buying it better than a price. Um, but over time, the appreciation doesn't really. It, I consider out there appreciation a non-factor. It they do increase, but it's so minimal. I don't rely. On it. What I've started to do is, in addition to the residential properties, I started to flip a few properties, and then I also now started to do some Airbnb investing for appreciation. So I'm diversifying my um, property portfolio into Airbnb. For example, I bought a three-bedroom. Well, I'm sorry, two bedroom, two bath home with a pool in Bonita Springs, Florida. It's about three quarters of a mile to the beach. So it's not beachfront, but it's about three quarters of a mile. I bought that in December of 2020 for 362. I put it on the market a month ago at 475 and I have a full price offer that knock on wood is supposed to close May 28th. So that's $100,000 in appreciation in a very six month, seven month time frame, um, that wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting to get 450 for it in about two years. That was my appreciation run up. And um, ultimately I bought it a bit under market. The seller was extremely motivated. He was an out of the, uh, he was an out of country owner who owned 30 properties in that area. This was his last one. And he wanted to get out because of the election. Once Biden won, he dumped everything he had. Really? Wow. I benefited from that and I'm okay with that. Yeah, no kidding. So how did Airbnb go with that house? Good. It covered its debt. It made a little bit of money every month. Um, no, I didn't take out any profit with it. I left it in there and let it um, accumulate just in case, so to speak. Did you do all the managing there or did you have a, a manager close by that dealt with the cleaner and setting everything up for you? That when we when I bought it, it was under an Airbnb contract already, and it had bookings already. So the company that was doing all that, I just continued to let them do it. They were charging me twenty percent of. I was going to say, yeah, I heard that their percentage is pretty high. So yeah, Vacasa, who does a lot of those, they charge twenty five percent. There's another company called Evolve. They do a little bit less than Vacasa does, but they're only at ten percent. So um, once. I had ended the contract with this company June 1st because my plan was to go there, create a third bedroom, do a little bit of fix up during the, the off season, and then be able to rent it for more next season. Um, so in that process, I've been interviewing different Airbnb companies to manage it and run it for me. That's where I found Vacasa and Evolve. And um, now it's for sale so and under contract, so I probably won't. Um, I did buy a three-bedroom lakefront home in Lake of the Ozarks. Um, that I went into with a buddy of mine who actually lives next door to this property. So we bought it from the homeowner at a pretty good price point. I think we paid two fifty for it, if memory serves me right. And that was last year as well. And we could probably sell it for close to three fifty, but we tend to like it. It's five hours from my house, so my family's going to use it this summer. 
Um, and he manages that one for us. Uh, my uh, my partner that lives next door. He handles the cleaning. We pay him for it, and he handles the bookings and everything else. So is Ozarks just like the show? Uh, you know what? It's a lot like the show. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Have you been down to Lickety Splits? Yeah, I haven't been there yet. You'll get places out there, a million-dollar home next to a shack. It's it's really kind of weird. It's a different different sort of place. But I'm uh, as crazy as it sounds, 2020 for me with COVID and everything else, I actually had what I call a lot of COVID wins, which is things went well when maybe they shouldn't have. I, I ended up buying a couple properties, the Bonita Springs and the Ozarks, along with a couple more rental properties. I sold, I think, four properties um, and flipped one. So at the beginning of COVID, I ended up buying a home in Yorkville, Illinois, which isn't too far from my house. And I bought it from a hoarder um, in every way you think a hoarder home would be. It was a three-bedroom ranch, two-bath with a full basement. Um, went in there with my contractor, and he looked at it, and he thought he was going to fill up about 14 dumpsters with the stuff. In it. So I ordered a dumpster right away, and I went there and figured that was going to be my workout because I can't go to the gym during COVID. I'll go there and start filling up dumpsters. I filled up one dumpster over a weekend. Then I put an ad on on Facebook and took a bunch of pictures and told people, everything's free. Just come take it. I had probably 30 people show up and take stuff. After that, my contractor went in. He filled up 22 dumpsters. Oh, my God. So you probably couldn't even see what shape this house was in because there was so much stuff in there. The only thing we could see was that there was real hardwood floors under everything because where there was a walking path you could see so he from the beginning felt he could sand those restain them and use those but we thought everything else needed to be replaced so he came in with a bid of sixty five thousand dollars he was almost right on target i think at the end of it he added a couple things i maybe paid sixty eight thousand for the repairs which i did through a local bank um, and then I bought the place for a hundred. So I was 168 all in. It went under contract and sold at 240. Now, did you ever have any plans of trying to keep it and doing a, a refinance on that and pull your money out? Or was it just strictly a flip? It was a flip for me because in that area, from a rental standpoint, it wasn't going to make enough. If I did my 20% down formula, it would take me 60 months to get my downstroke back. It'd be a great home and it'd be in wonderful shape, but it, it didn't cash flow enough to make sense. It made more sense. When I went into it, my plan was to sell it for two and a quarter. So um, through the market being a little bit better, I got more than I had planned and I'm okay with that. Most of it contracted out? All of it? Yeah. It was all contracted out to one guy who has a small company not far from where I live. Um, I met him on this project actually where I'm sitting now in the Corey home. Uh, I had a contractor start this project who did a lot of things wrong, delayed a ton, wasn't a good contractor. Every nightmare you hear, the initial contractor here was that. Um, and then I had to call out other contractors, found this other guy. Um, he was really good. He came in, fixed the problems that were here, made this place look great. And I've used him whenever I can. Good contractor is worth gold. I mean, especially over the last year, all these guys are so busy with COVID. Everyone's sitting home, they're getting the extra money, they're looking at all the things that need to be fixed in their house. And I found that it's really, really hard to find anybody. So if if we go back to your original property, the, the four unit, were you self-managing that to start with? Or did you go property management right off the bat? Well, I've been self-managing most everything. In my opinion, 
Um, a, it's a cost to get a manager on board. I don't like to spend money I don't have to spend. Um, and usually the managers are hiring contractors to do stuff as well. Very few manage, property managers go there and swing a hammer. They hire the local contractor to do it. So what I found is go to that area, find a heating guy, find an electrician, find a carpenter, and then just call them directly when you need something. If, if a tenant calls me and says, hey, I'm having a problem with my hot water heater, I don't go look at it because I have no skill set to do that at all. I call that local plumber who I found. I send them out and then they call me and tell me if I got to replace it. I don't, uh, or if they can fix it, whatever it might be. So I probably overpay on the contractor side, but underpay on the management side. Um, I didn't get a property manager until I bought my 10 unit and then I brought one in for that. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, if you're managing all, all of these 60 plus right now, that's pretty crazy. Right now, I have a property manager who was one of my tenants, or actually still is one of my tenants. She manages a two-unit, 10-unit, and 14-unit for me. All of the rest of the properties, I manage myself. Wow. Maybe it's because of the area that I'm in, but they've been super easy to manage. Typically, you find one of your tenants is willing to cut the grass for 50 bucks less a month, right? Um, Typically, one of the tenants will in the shovel that for that same 50 bucks less a month, right? So you can usually get one of your tenants in those smaller up to say 10 unit buildings to do some of the work for you. Um, They're all looking to pay less in their rent. So that works out pretty good. Um, And then outside of that, to put new tenants in there has been super easy. Now, what's your vetting process like? How do you... uh... Horrible. There is no process, just a handshake? There really is is no process, as crazy as it sounds. um, I'll say it's it's either my stroke of genius or it's my um, biggest issue, hard to tell. What I found when I started looking in in those areas, if you run a credit on anyone in those areas, it's going to come back terrible. So it got to a point where if if I'm using credit as a credit, most of my places will rent for five to nine hundred dollars a month depending on size and all that stuff right so if you're someone who lives in troy grove illinois and you're paying seven hundred dollars a month for a three-bedroom apartment i can guarantee you your credit's bad because if your credit was good you would have bought a house by now so, so running credit doesn't help me we have um i do have an application that asks things about you know criminal history and, and what i find is a lot of them have a criminal history if they were caught using drugs 12 years ago, I don't care. If they're a pedophile, I care. (laughs) So I do have a bit of a vetting process, but um, it's not much. What I I find is I'll post a property, I'll get a bunch of people inquiring about it, and then I'll say, open house, come see the property if you're interested, this day at this time. So on the post, I'll put, come see the property Saturday, 10 to noon. And I don't do anything with anyone. I'll answer questions, but I don't meet with anyone. I don't do anything until 10 to noon on that Saturday. And what I find is out of every 10 people that show a huge interest that desperately want it, maybe three show up. I'm a, I do everything on a, on a monthly. Um, it's a month by month lease. I don't do annual leases anymore. And I tell the tenant, this is because if you think I'm a horrible landlord or you hate the building, you can leave with 30 days notice. On the flip side, if you're a horrible tenant and not paying, you get a 30-day notice and you can't fight that. I'm not evicting you. I'm just not renewing your lease after that month. Now, how long is the average if somebody stays? Have you had any problems with somebody's out in three months or six months and you got to go turn it around or are they staying for an average of a couple of years? 
usually they're staying for to date most of them stay a year plus a year is kind of that point where they like the area they like the place where they don't very few of them want to go through the hassle of leaving earlier than that year um so there's been two people maybe in the past two years that i've asked politely to leave <laughs> maybe the best way to say it you know where I, i'm kind of a fan where i'll tell my tenants listen if you're going to be late text me and let me know if you're going to be late on a payment i can handle the way i buy my properties the way i manage my funds i can handle anyone being late it's not a problem what i don't want to do is have to chase you for your rent so if you know i i text all my tenants and say hey on tuesday which might be the eighth of the month i'm coming out to collect rents and most of them text back great see you then or i'll leave it for you here maybe they'll tape it to the door maybe they'll hide it somewhere on site whatever the case might be um and then there's a number of tenants who don't respond and those are the ones that i got to kind of get on and i tell everyone from the beginning i said listen if you're communicating with me and you're making an attempt i'm not, never going to get rid of you but if you're hiding from me i'm done with you that day it just it it sets it easier they feel a little bit more at ease um, and it makes a little bit more sense in those areas. I wouldn't do that in Rockford, Illinois, or the south side of Chicago. Um, those are two areas where my formula works great, but the tenant pool in those areas is atrocious. So uh, have you had to go through eviction court at all with any of these? Or you said you've been lucky that you just kind of ask them nicely and they leave, they don't destroy the place or anything like that? No horror no, stories? I've, nope, I've had very few... Um, and again, I'm going to equate it to the area that I'm in. Not very few tenants have severely damaged the place. There's been some carpeting I've had to replace here and there, but that's a bit of wear and tear as well. Uh, there's been some painting I've had to do, but that's, again, wear and tear as well. Um, no one's caused any sort of substantial damage at all um, in the areas in the areas that I'm in. Again, they're... <sighs> I won't tell you what town, but one of the towns I have properties in, I have four units. I have a threeplex and I have a single family home. Of those four tenants, three pay me cash. And the way they pay me cash is they tape it to their door. <laughs> if you knew where this was, you could, and you knew when I was going, you could go there and make roughly 2400 bucks in cash. It's just that that's the way that world works. They're in a smaller town. They're, they put an envelope and they tape it to their door. I thought you were going to say they were paying you all in fives and ones and tens or something. <laughs> I'd be okay with that too. Money's money, brother. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. So, you said that you won't rent to a pedophile. So, are you doing some kind of background check or is it just an internet search? Yeah, I'll do an internet search and it's on the application. They have right. to disclose it where if they find later they've lied, that's a reason for eviction. So I tell them right up, I'm like, listen, here's your application. I ask you about your criminal history. Um, I, I mainly need to know. And, and my lease is written where it says if you're convicted of a felony, you're kicked out. So how do you manage everything online? Are you using a spreadsheet? Are you using uh, one of these websites? I am in the process of finding a property management software rep website app. So I'm looking at Stessa and a few other ones. Currently, it's on an Excel spreadsheet. I have a different tab for each one of my properties, and I keep track of income and expenses for each property on that. And it's, it's gotten cumbersome. It was fine when it was five or 10 units over a couple properties. Now that it's bigger and, and I have to scroll further 
to the side to see everything. Um, I know I have to step into something, and that's the process I'm going through right now. So how much time would you say you spend each month on updating this spreadsheet? Do you do it weekly or you do it, sit down and try to do it all at once? Or how do you do that? If I could, I would do it weekly and it would probably take me, I'm going to say an hour a week. I'm not good. So I basically do it quarterly if I'm lucky, annually if I'm not. It's a bit cumbersome and a bit 1985, I'd say, but... Currently, it works for me till I get that better system and put the time in to learn the system and update the system. That's my problem is I don't really want to spend time learning a system or updating a system. If I put that time in, it would make the rest of my life way easier. And I recognize that. I'm just not that guy. Hey, I've seen posts online that one lady said she was still doing it all on paper. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that's, yeah, you got a filing cabinet and everything. I mean, that's so you're you're doing a little bit better than her. A little bit, but not much. But uh, the good news is, is I recognize most of my shortcomings, and it's not a big deal at this point. I, I embrace my weirdness and my, you know, I'm I'm a sales guy, and I probably have undiagnosed ADD, and this system works for me. I don't get caught up in the small shit. I don't worry about little problems here and there. I look at a bigger picture. I've owned some properties with my brother, who, by the way, is a great guy. Um, but he worries about the little stuff. He worries about you know, what if someone falls down the stairs and gets injured and we're sued? I look at that and say, I've got insurance for a reason. So I'm not that concerned. Um, it really, a lot of investing of any kind is just where you put your focus. Do you have any of these in LLCs or do you have just a big umbrella insurance over the regular policies? Good, good question. I have, everything I do is in an LLC, but it's in one LLC. I don't segregate each property in an LLC. Some people will say I should, and I don't. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Um, And I have two different insurance companies I work with because I'm in different states. Some won't do certain properties, some will. So I basically just, every time I get a property, I send it to my two insurance agencies I work with and say, this is the property I'm buying. This is what I'm paying for it. Can you do the insurance? What will it be? And they kind of know me at this point well enough to know what type of insurance I need for each one. A couple of my properties are in flood zones, so I got to get flood insurance for them as well. These ones that are in LLCs, you have a mortgage on, correct? Or at least some of them? Yes. Do you ever yeah. have any issue with that? Because I know a lot of people are iffy on that, that they could recall the loan. Did you ever have an issue with your bank? Do you let them know ahead of time or you just do it? It depends on the bank, um, for me at least. Um, right now, the one bank I work with that'll do up to four units, everything I do there is in my name but it rolls into my LLC from an income cost standpoint, right? For the other bank I work with, which is what I have most of my properties with, they do the loan in my LLC name with me as a guarantee. Banks don't want to own your home. Banks don't want to own your business. (laughs) They're motivated to work it out with you. So as long as you're communicating with them, and that's where from a business standpoint, so many people get scared. I'm not going to buy this business. I'll fail. I laugh at that and say, if you go to work for someone, they're going to invest, let's say you make $100,000. This business is investing $100,000 in you because they know you're going to generate more than that for them. They're not hiring you to take a loss. They're hiring you to, for you to help them be more profitable. So jumping into a business isn't the scariest thing in the world when you view it as someone else is paying me to do this. I can do it for myself. And then you have a whole ton of tax write-offs because there's all the expenses that go with owning and running. And I'm not saying owning a business is for everyone, but that fear factor everyone has 
shouldn't really be out there. Banks have no interest in you missed one payment, they're going to come take your bar. <laughs> the last thing a bank is a bar. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so paralysis by analysis. A lot of, I see it all the time on bigger pockets and all these different sites that people are just they're analyzing, 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 and years later they still haven't pulled the trigger and they're three years behind where they could have been if they had just jumped on it. Yeah. I'm a fan of just do whatever you're thinking about doing. Just do it. What's the worst case scenario? It, it, it goes south, you lose a bunch of money, and you're starting back at zero. I can guarantee you, you've learned more from that experience than you ever did through college, through high school, through any job you ever had. Um, I would rather hire someone that owned a subway shop for five years than someone with a master's degree in business. With no experience on anything yet? No experience at all. That's where I'm, I have a daughter who will go to college very soon. I'm not a fan of college, not because it's not fun. I had a blast. I met a bunch of people, you know, met a bunch of people, had a great time. Everything was wonderful about it. I have a criminology degree I've never used. Never have a thought in using it. I've been in sales from day one. My degree is completely useless other than it shows people I have the ability to acquire knowledge. Okay. What do you do on a day-to-day right now? Do you have a, a side job or are you just looking at different properties and looking at your next move? Good question. I have a real job. I'm the vice president of sales for North America for a construction company, a construction equipment company. So we manufacture construction equipment. And that takes me all over North America. Um, at our peak, we did about a billion dollars in sales. So I have a sales team of roughly 30 guys that I run. Um, and that's my full-time job. The real estate stuff I do weekends and nights. And it's, it's for lack of a better term, it's my hobby. So you're, you're traveling all over and still managing all these properties. Now, what happens if you have like a lockout or something? Do you have a lockbox there for them or do you have key, key codes? Nothing. I, my leases are written where I say, if you lock yourself out. Break a window. Nope. <laughs> I call a locksmith. You pay the locksmith when he shows up. How many of your properties have you never even been to before? Did you ever go down to that one in Florida and check it out first, yeah. or did you? Oh, yeah. Did you? yeah, oh yeah, I uh, I went down to Florida. I spent a day with a local realtor who was a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing, and she took me to probably ten properties um, to see which ones I like. And there was two I liked a lot, including the one I bought. So, what's your long term uh, goal right now? You got a lot of properties. You're still working. Are you planning to do that for a certain amount of time, or are you just enjoying it and you're going to do it as long as you want? That's a really good question. Um, I, I've been trying to nail down my goals a little bit more. When I initially got into the real estate, it was I wanted passive income from real estate of ten thousand a month. That was my that was my goal when I got into it because I felt no matter where my kids cho- choose to go to college. 10 grand a month will cover it. So that was my whole system. Now that I'm pretty much there, and you know that I don't run my books very well, so I might be well beyond there, might be well below there, but I most recently went through it and figured out, oh, I'm kind of at my goal without knowing I was there. Um, my new goal would be 20 grand a month in free cash flow and an exit strategy of seven years where I could get rid of everything I have and move to an island and never deal with people again. That, that would be the small year goal. <laughs> Which gets my son through high school um, and into college. And uh, that's my that's my plan, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I do some things with businesses. I own half of a staffing company right now. Um, I do own a marina right now. Uh, the marina, I've leased it out. And the person leasing it has the option to buy it. 
So I'm hoping that happens just because I originally went into that with a couple buddies and through life changes, one of them couldn't really be involved like we thought he could anymore. And then the other one moved to California where the love of his life is. You know, my most recent property, it's a uh, four unit for 50,000 bucks in an area where I'm already in. So I'm going to put 10 grand down. I could very easily pay 10 grand myself, but I have a whole bunch of friends and family and other people who are always coming to me now saying, oh, it seems like you're doing good in real estate. Can I invest with you? Can I invest with you? So I sent out an email to six people about this property. I said, this is what it does. This is what it is. This is what I'm going to do with it. If you want in, you can come in for 10,000 bucks and I'll split all the profit with you. I had five of those people get back to me within 20 minutes saying, sure, I'd like it. Wow. Because it's, it's not going to lose. It may not make, you know, my estimate is it's going to make, I don't know, $700 a month, whatever it is. It might not make that, but it's not going to lose. It's an easy, simple investment. And all of these people who I talked to could do it themselves, but they get scared. And what's funny, if, if you know me, I'm a bit of an idiot. I mean, I'm really, <laughs> honest with you. I'm like, there's nothing amazing about me. I'm a fat guy from the Midwest who's average in just about every way. The only difference is I'm willing to, to do what makes sense without beating myself up that it doesn't make sense. But again, it's, it's average, just taking steps when you can't. That's the thing. And this place, I could have bought this with 30 people that all would have been happy to throw in 10 grand. You know what I mean? It's just because it's fun. There's the find people with 30,000 or less is easy. No one knows what to do with their savings. They've got it in the bank account earning 1%. They're throwing into a CD earning 3%. I'm earning 29% on my, on my cash on cash return. Okay. So is that how you're buying all your properties these days? Is just private money from friends and family? No, I still leverage the bank. You do? So you got to get a commercial loan at this yeah, point? Leverage the bank at 20% down uh, through Resource Bank. I'll give them a shout out. They've been great in this area. Uh, Resource Bank, Triumph Bank, or First Midwest Bank have all been really good to me. They'll all do 20% down deals. The difference now is people who are asking to come in, I'll look at the deal and I'll say, okay, for you to come in on this deal, you put in this much, I'll put in this much. So, for example, that one um, out in Morrison, it's a $50,000 property. I'm going to put ten grand down. The investor coming in who's not going to do anything ever puts the ten grand down. And they're giving you a 30-year fixed fixed term on that? Yeah, a 30-year fixed term at 3.75. Wow, that's great. Yeah, because I always heard when you're not doing the Fannie, Fannie Freddie that you're going to have to go with the commercial and it's uh, adjustable rate and all that. So that's, that sounds awesome. This Well, again, it's, it's finding the right bank. That's what everything comes down to. This bank will do up to 10 properties for me. Um, they may sell it off after they, they do the deal. Um, they also have my regular home. Um, so it really, uh, Mr. Cooper is a company out of Texas. They're a mortgage company. They'll do up to 10 loans for an individual, provided they're all in different states. They'll lend in every state. Any property you buy outside your state, you can call a second home and you can have nine second homes. They can all run through FHA. They can all run through any of those things. Um, and this Mr. Cooper company can do them on 30-year fixed at 3.5% right now. So if you wanted to do Airbnbs, you could do them all day long with 10% down and a 30-year fixed at rates better than we've seen ever. So there's your risk right there. And most of these places you're doing Airbnbs in 
you can ask them for the numbers they've done. If you call, like uh, my next one's gonna be in Dolphin Island, Alabama. It's along Gulf Shores there, right? If you call La Casa and say, I'm buying a property in Dolphin Island, Alabama. Can you tell me about rental rates? They'll send you, here's the 30 places we rent right now for people. Here's what they've brought in since we've had them rented. So you can figure out what does a four bedroom on Dolphin Island get you every year and just do the math and now you're leveraging 10% down. There's a there's a four bedroom condo for sale there for 325,000. That, if you rent it on Airbnb, is gonna bring you in 60 to 80 grand. You're gonna put 30 grand down and you're gonna have a place to go. The most recent bar that I did was in uh, Dundee, Illinois and I ended up finding the manager who I had worked with at another property who I knew was good, who knew the property. It had been sitting vacant for two years. The landlord wanted 4,000, 4,800 a month, something like that, for this 2,000 square foot space. I looked at it, it was turnkey, had all the equipment in there, everything was great. And I said, well, if you look at it, it's not worth 4,800 a month, it's worth two grand. And they came back, no way, blah, blah, blah. Great, so I walked away. Three months later, the realtor calls me, are you still interested, we still got it available, blah, 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 he'll go to 3,500. No, it's at worth two grand. That's when you do the math in that business, you can't pay more than two grand for it. So I just stuck to my two grand because that's the math that worked. Eventually, a year down the road, they called me and they're willing to take my two grand. So now I'm sitting there a year and a half after I originally looked at it, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to run a bar, but I've got this manager who can run it for me. I'll give him 10% ownership to run it for me um, and pay him a decent salary. But then I said, well, I'm also getting money for this, 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 and this. Let me see if I can get money. I went on Craigslist, hand to God, I went on Craigslist and put, I'm buying a bar, would anyone like to invest, taking up to three investors at 20 grand a piece. I had three people that threw me 20,000 bucks, That so that business was started for 60,000 bucks, none of it was mine, I didn't work it, and I owned 30%. Yeah, that sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> you didn't get killed by somebody on Craigslist no, that was coming after you? if you think about it, it was simple. I had a meeting there with the potential investors, I showed him the place and I said, this is what I'm doing. It's turnkey. It's this and that. We're using the money for this, that, and the other thing. And I kind of, I had a plan and I didn't know there's five people that showed up, three invested with me. Um, it was a legal document. It was formed an LLC. And I let him meet the manager who's going to have 10% ownership as well. And as things got good, which it did, it, it became a very successful bar for what should be a complete nightmare, right? Four guys from Craigslist. It's worked out great. I feel like that could be a Netflix documentary, Four Guys from Craigslist. <laughs> but it was, again, it, I was honest. I was straightforward. I was upfront. Um, I told them, I go, chances are you could lose everything, but I don't see it. And they were guys who basically all, here's what every guy on the planet wants. Every guy on the planet wants to own a bar. So if you want a guaranteed profit source, Go to a shitty small town anywhere in the world, buy a crappy mixed-use building that has residential above it and a former barn grill below it, and rent out everything. I have two properties right now that have a former barn grill on the first floor. I don't want to run a bar anymore, but I put an ad out on Facebook saying I'm leasing out a turnkey bar, and you'll get 30 people that come knocking on your door that want to rent it. Some are successful, some are not. You know, my... My lease with people who rent those bars from me, I write it very simple. Here's what you're going to pay every month. You have a 
90 day out. So it's a five year lease. If at any point you don't want to do this anymore, just give me notice, pay up to that end of 90 days and walk away and leave it in good shape. We're most, wow, that's great. Well, most people will sign a five year, you got to pay. They're going to take someone to court when they failed. And you're never going to get no, it anyway, probably no. in the end. So, And as far as a commercial loan too, they're pretty much, uh, they're responsible for everything, right? I mean, if anything breaks, uh, sometimes even the real estate taxes they're, they're in charge of. Yeah, so. it's the same. It's a triple net lease usually. They pay the taxes on that portion of the building. They pay their own insurance. They It works out great. And no one thinks about it because everyone thinks, oh, a bar, a bar, a bar. The whole world wants to own a bar. So you've done a lot of things. You've been successful at a lot of things. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done that you would definitely recommend that you don't do? Good, good question. I would say from a real estate standpoint, the dumbest thing I did was I bought the nicest property in a small town commercial area that can't be a bar. So a quick story, I bought a a two-story brick building. The former owners put with the purchase of the building and the fix up over 400 grand into this business or into this building. I bought it for 90,000 owner held financing with 10% down. Seems like a great deal. Problem is it was 98 feet from a church, so it could never be a bar. And what I learned was everyone in a small town already owns the building they need. So your small town tax guy owns his building. Your small town insurance guy owns his building. Your small town restaurant guy owns his building. Your small town antique guy owns his building. So I literally had the nicest building in the center of downtown, this this little town, Mendota, um, and I couldn't give it away. I was going to businesses in other towns saying, I own this property. It's gorgeous. I'll give you six months free. I'll give you a year free. I had no interest, no interest in it at all. I ended up putting someone on the second floor. So I had some revenue to cover my debt. Took me about two and a half years. And I think I sold it for 110. So with carrying costs and everything else, I can tell you I lost. Um, So my advice is never buy commercial in a small town unless it can be a bar. (laughs) Because that's all that works. (laughs) There you go. So that was maybe the dumbest thing I did as far as real estate goes. I'd have to think a little bit more on it, but that's probably it. And it wasn't the worst thing in the world either. I mean, you survived it. So sometimes you sometimes you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding. So people should be a lot less scared than they are to do things. That's my opinion. And, and if this is fun, like what I do is fun for me. I enjoy looking at properties. I enjoy buying properties. I enjoy um, looking at businesses and see if they make sense. I enjoy all that. Right. My biggest problem is I can't take on everything because I'm just one average guy. Um, so my advice to people is get a good gauge on what you want to do and then just do it. Don't, don't assume there's things stopping you from making it happen. Never assume because you don't have 50,000 bucks in the bank, you can't make it work. I guarantee you if the deal's good and you put effort into it, you'll find ways to make it happen. That's my, that's my advice, opinion, what have you. All right. sounds like your lawn crew just showed up. Appreciate you joining me and sharing all your experiences with us. Uh, We'll definitely catch up down the road before you move off to an island. Uh, Matt mentioned having all properties in one LLC, a limited liability company. Uh, I'm sure it's not a bad thing. It will protect any additional assets he has outside of the LLC bubble if something happened within his residential properties. But as far as protecting one property versus another, they're all still under the same entity. 
Uh, it's just as if you had it all under your own name. I mean, the LLC versus Umbrella is a big debate. I mean, obviously having both is best. But if you're just starting out, an umbrella is definitely a good way to go, in my opinion. It costs us 57 bucks to have a $3 million umbrella policy that sits over all of our regular policies. All right, I'll be back with a fresh episode next Monday. Apple Podcasts, Google, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Alexa! God, no one listens to me around this house. Get out there and get after it. Later. Thank you for listening to the Highly Leveraged Podcast. Leave a review and subscribe to get new shows automatically downloaded every Monday morning. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Highly Leveraged Pod. And check out our website at HighlyLeveragedPod.com for more info. The Bears.